Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Is the Bible relevant today? Does it still have stories it can tell us? Sometimes we find it hard to relate to the people and the cultures of the Holy Scripture. We find it hard to believe that these were everyday people like us, with struggles that they encountered from day to day. That is, until they met the real live God, just like we still can today, and everything changes. This isn't a story of likely heroes and legends. This is. This is. This is. This is. This is. This is. This is us. How are you doing? Awesome. Well, just introduce myself if we haven't had the chance to meet yet. My name's Colin, and I'm the youth coordinator here at Crosspoint. Uh, if you're new or you're just visiting with us, we want to give you an extra special welcome. We are just so glad uh, that you can be here with us this morning. Um, if you haven't been with us for a while, or if you're new here, you've caught us at the end of a mini-series uh, that we've been doing called This Is Us. And uh, so a couple weeks ago, Delaney, she spoke about fear. Uh, Last week, Micah, he touched on despair. And this week, I'm going to be speaking with you this morning about shame. So with that being said, the Bible is full of stories of people that we sometimes don't feel familiar with. Characters at first glance, we don't think that we can relate to. When in fact, these are real people with real problems who have an experience with the one real God. This is not a story of legends or likely heroes, but this is the story of us facing real-life issues with a real-life God, and this is us. So this morning, let me tell you the story of a person who had a real problem. The story that I'm going to share with you this morning is about a woman. This woman growing up likely was no different than you and me. You know, she likely had uh, hopes, had dreams, she likely had family, had friends, But when we capture the story of this woman that we're going to be reading today, we read the story of a woman who finds herself to be broken, trapped in a lifestyle that she probably never would have ever hoped to be in. She was a woman that found pleasure in her sin. She was a woman that found herself to be despised and frowned upon by her community. The story that I'm going to share with you this morning is the story of the woman caught in adultery. If you have your Bibles or your bulletin notes, you can open up to John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. We have it up on the screen as well. I do realize that this first slide, the writing is pretty small, but when we go through it step by step, there's going to be some bigger font as well. So we're going to read this story together, starting at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to, te- uh, said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap uh, in order to trap him, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go and leave your life of sin. And that's the word of God. Can we pray together? Uh, Jesus, I just want to thank you just so much just for this opportunity we have to worship you. And I just thank you just that you do meet us in our day-to-day lives, that these stories that we read about, they're not these weird ancient tales that we can't relate to, but God, they're stories of people like us. And we just thank you that when we have an encounter with you, it radically changes everything. So God, I just pray that as we just dive into your word, I pray that our hearts are just prepared for what you have for us. And I pray that we leave change this morning, God. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. So, I want to start off by asking us a question this morning. Have you ever felt trapped by shame? Have you ever felt trapped by shame? You know, maybe I'm the only one. I highly doubt it. But the reality of shame has been a paralyzing reality for me in my life. You know, when we talk about shame, we hardly need a definition. I think it's a feeling that most of us can relate with. It's a feeling of negativity, a feeling of heaviness, of pain, of humiliation on the inside, and it's usually due to the, or it comes up and emerges from the exposure to things in our environment. And the evidence of shame, it shows itself in different ways in our life. You know, shame, it can make us feel inadequate. Shame will make us feel worthless, make us feel that we don't have value. Shame, it causes us to isolate. And shame, it can cause you to be driven by a life that's uh, driven by pleasing, performance, perfection. Shame, it causes us to addict, or uh, shame, it causes us to engage in addictive behaviors. And shame, it causes us ultimately to run from God and run from others. And the reality of shame is that it's been around since the very beginning. It's been a part of our human condition. When we look at the story found in Genesis, we see that shame was a result of the fall when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, God, he created all of creation. He called all the, or created all the birds, all the animals, all the plants. He created Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they became one flesh, and he called them to be fruitful, to multiply, to steward creation, and to have fun. However, Adam and Eve, they decided to disobey and ate from the one tree, the one tree that God told them not to eat from. And out of their own pride, they decided to live apart from God, and they wanted to do life on their own terms. They didn't trust God and what he had to say, and they did their own thing. And the consequence of, this, or of their disobedience, it brought sin into the world, and ultimately, they became trapped in their shame. So what we're going to do is we're just going to read that passage together real quick here. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and uh, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. So for Adam and Eve, not only did they experience guilt for what they did, but they also experienced shame. And we're going to talk about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is an awareness of failure against a standard, where shame is a sense of failure before the eyes of someone. I'm going to say that again. Guilt is an awareness 
of failure against a standard where shame is a sense of failure before the eyes of someone. Shame caused Adam and Eve to hide, to cover up, and to run from God. Here are some statement examples to show the difference between guilt and shame as well. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I feel bad. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. Guilt is very much about doing, where shame is very much about being. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, their sin caused them to live in shame. You know, their once undivided connection in relation to God and with each other became marred, it became disrupted, and it became tainted. So no longer did they have a perfect relationship horizontally and vertically, but it became distorted. So shame, it impacts our intimacy with God and also our intimacy with each other. So since the beginning, we've been trapped in this cycle of shame. And the reality of sin is that it causes us to be in disunity with God and disunity with each other. And we are part of this narrative of shame that impacts every single one of us. The trap of shame, though, the trap that holds us back from intimacy, the trap that holds us back from actually knowing who we are, the trap that causes us to run from others, to run from God, how do we actually get out of the trap of shame? What does that actually look like? I think this morning the story has a lot to say to us about that. So we're going to just dive through the story chunk by chunk, and then I have one main idea that I want to share with you. So let's go back to verses 1 to 6 in the story of the woman. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So what's actually happening here? I think it's important to understand the context in which we are speaking to, or speaking about. Um, In this context, it's first century Jewish culture, and they were living in a shame and honor culture. So what does that actually mean? In a shame and honor culture, people's worth was basically determined by how they were seen by other people. So in this shame and honor culture, there was different classes of people. You know, there was the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews were seen as better than the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people. Uh, Rich were seen as more valuable than the poor. Uh, Those who were sick and that were weak, they were seen as less valuable. Um, Women were seen as less valuable than men. So already, this woman's in a shame and honor culture. She's already seen as less than. And then all of a sudden, she's in a situation where her sin is being exposed. She was caught in adultery. So she was not in a good situation. And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to imagine what it would have been like to be this woman. You know, many of us have had our weak moments. Many of us, well, for some of us, you know, maybe we haven't actually committed adultery. Most of us have done it in our own hearts, if we're going to be honest. But we've engaged in secret sins or we've done things that we're not particularly proud of. We've had our weak moments where our sinful nature has gotten the best of us. You know, maybe it's letting our anger loose or speaking gossip about other people. Or maybe it's just something that we've done and we're like, thank God that wasn't posted on social media. We all have those experiences. Now, this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine something that you're not particularly proud of. Just think about it for a moment. And now imagine, just for a moment, that I'm playing it on the screen for everybody to see. 
Your sin, it's exposed, it's shared for everyone to see. There's no hiding it, there's no excuses. Everyone know what you did last night. Now imagine in that moment the shame, the embarrassment, the feeling of your heart sinking down to your stomach. I had a really embarrassing situation when I was in high school. Uh, When I was in the 12th grade, my friend and I, who's actually here this morning, uh, we chose to perform in a talent show um, that was called JP's Got Talent, or the school that we went to is called Jasper Place High School, and we decided to play a song called Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson. I'm sure many of you have heard that this morning. And uh, basically, I was going to play guitar, and he played violin. I'm going to tell you, my friend is a super talented musician. Like, he, he kills it. He's really, really talented. Where myself, on the other hand, I have a lot of work to do. But anyways, during high school, a lot of you guys know my story. I wasn't taking life too seriously. I was far from God. I was dabbling with drugs. My life was a complete mess. So when it came to preparing for this event, I did practice, but I was nowhere near prepared for this event that was actually going to take place. And I remember the day came to play, and I was just freaking out. And, you know, JP's a huge school, so I knew there was going to be a lot of students that were going to be watching this thing. But luckily, one of the things that I kind of found comfort in is that I knew a bunch of students were going to be in class, so there's a bunch of students that weren't going to make it. So I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what, if this thing goes south and I totally mess up, like at least there's a good amount of students that just didn't see it. So not everyone at the school will have witnessed this thing go down. But anyways, so what happened was is that we, uh, the day came, we decided to perform, uh, we went up on the stage, and I remember standing up on the stage, looking out into the crowd and seeing all these high school students watching us. And I remember at that moment, my heart sank. I started to panic, the lights were on us, and I mean, it was go time. For those of you who know me, when I get really nervous, I talk really, really fast. Um, <laughs> everyone's laughing because they know it's true. And uh, for me at that moment, I was super, super nervous, so I started playing guitar like way faster than we originally practiced it. And I remember my friend looking over at me thinking like, what's this guy doing? But you know, since he's super talented, you know, I knew he was able to catch up, so I mean, he just jumped right in. And I remember as soon as he jumped in with the violin, like, I mean, everybody started cheering. It was insane. It was a really cool feeling. But then all of a sudden, I started to make a few mistakes. And then another mistake. And then another mistake. And then all of a sudden, I just kind of went into this panic, and it went completely downhill. There's a few parts where I had my time to shine. I didn't shine. It was, uh, it was super embarrassing. And I remember uh, my friend, he looked over at me, and like, I mean, he's just like, okay, let's wrap this thing up. Let's just do this. So we finished it. And I remember everyone was cheering, I think more for him than it was for me. But I remember in that moment, I was just feeling so much shame, so much embarrassment, because I felt like I totally let my friend down. I felt like I embarrassed myself. I felt like I embarrassed him. And to make things worse, when we were done, like, I mean, I just wanted to jet out of the school. I didn't want to see anybody because I knew everyone had just saw what I did. And I remember I was going to my locker, and I walked past my social teacher's classroom. And he's like, hey, Colin, I saw you perform. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like, you were in the classroom teaching. And he's like, oh, yeah, all the classrooms that weren't able to make it to the show, we had it playing on the TV so everyone was able to see it. (laughs) And I was like, what? Like, I just, I felt so bad at that moment. And the thing is, it's like, as I was processing through this story, I talked to my friend, and he reassures me. He's like, dude, it was nowhere near as bad as that you remember. Like, you, it was awesome. It was a good time. But I remember, like, just at that moment, I just felt embarrassed for the mistakes that I had made. And so for me, shame has just been a real reality for me in my life. Now, making a few mistakes at a talent show is much different than being caught in the act of adultery. But that was this woman. There was no doubt what she had done. You know, they had the witnesses. They had the proof. But here's the question that we can have when we look at the text this morning. Where was the guy? Right? Obviously, there's something going on behind the scenes. But 
out of this men's hypocrisy, out of their religiosity, out of their legalism, they were willing to exploit a woman for the sake of trying to make Jesus look bad. They likely worked with the man. They probably, he was probably involved in this setup, and they coerced her to be in the act that they would eventually capitalize on. And this woman, she's all alone, maybe with some of her family members watching in the crowd, looking at her, shaming her, judging her, ridiculing her, calling her names, looking at her with eyes of disgust. There was no hiding, there was no running, no room to justify, no room for excuses, or even a voice to explain what happened. Just her sin out there for all to see. And the heinous part about this, too, is this woman was not treated with dignity. She wasn't treated with compassion. And the only reason she was being thrown in front of the crowd is to be made an example to try to trap Jesus. And in this passage, they said they wanted to ask Jesus what to do. And basically, they tried to put Jesus in a double bind. They wanted to disgrace him in front of the crowd because according to the law of Moses, it does say that a woman caught in adultery should be stoned. They weren't wrong. This is what the law declared. However... The people that were bringing about this charge, they didn't really care about righteousness. They didn't really care about justice. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about her story. They didn't care about the frailty of her life. They didn't care about honoring God at all. It was all about upholding rules and using this as an opportunity to trap Jesus. You know, and if he didn't agree, he would have been seen as dishonoring the law of Moses. But if he had her stone, he would have been seen as harsh and not obeying the Roman rule that was taking place at the time. But here's the thing that's cool about Jesus, is that he didn't fall for it. Let's keep reading, verses seven to eight. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. So what's Jesus doing here? The cool thing about Jesus is that he knew exactly what they were doing. You know, Jesus knew that they didn't really care about righteousness, that they didn't really care about God himself, And the truth is, is that the God that they claimed to serve, the God that they claimed to worship was standing right in front of them, and they didn't even recognize him. And Jesus knew this, and of course, in typical Jesus fashion, he knew how to not get trapped, and he started writing in the dirt, and then he said, anyone who's without sin can cast the first stone. Now, here's the thing. It would have been impossible for someone to be sinless or to be morally perfect to be able to bring about a charge such as this, but Jesus, he was calling them to examine themselves. You know, because they were so zealous to uphold this law, but they failed to see they were failing to uphold so many others. They were full of hypocrisy, and that is exactly what Jesus wanted to point out. And Jesus, in this passage, he does this weird thing when he writes in the ground. You know, there's many different ideas of what Jesus could have been writing. You know, there's some scholars that say that maybe Jesus was just buying time. I don't know if that was the case. There were some that say that maybe Jesus was writing their sins in the dirt. You know, some said maybe Jesus was creating suspense, like he was just trying to like, make them on edge before he said something. Some thought maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. Um, but there was this view that I actually found that was quite interesting when I was doing my research for this sermon. And some thought Jesus was writing a passage from the book of Jeremiah. And it's Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. And we're just going to read this together. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, thinking about the Pharisees and thinking about our own lives, how often do we get comfortable with our own standard of righteousness? 
I know I can. I mean, my wife and I on Netflix will watch like these documentaries about these uh, serial killers or just like these like mass murders and stuff like that. Like, I mean, they're kind of dark, but I mean, it's easy to watch those things and be like, hey, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I've never done that. Like, I know I know my stuff, but at least I haven't gone that far. But I think that's something that we can easily do all the time. Rather than looking to Jesus to be the standard of righteousness for our lives, we start comparing to each other, thinking, you know, at least I'm not like that guy. Or at least I never did that sin. I've never actually committed that. Or at least I'm not as worse off as those people. And it can go the other way as well. Like sometimes we think that we're the absolute worst sinners and we see people's outward appearance. We see them at church on Sundays. We see them on their social media profiles and we think there's no way that person struggles with the same thing that I do. You know, if I were to actually be honest about the stuff that's going on in my life, if I were to actually bring things to the light, there's no way that people would actually accept me. There's no way that people would actually love me. And the problem with comparison is that it leads us to us being in the trap of shame or to shaming others. And the Pharisees, they, in this passage, they look to their own standard of righteousness. You no, know, they look to their own good works. They look to their own standard of goodness. They upheld the law, and they took pride in it. However, they didn't seem to understand grace. They didn't seem to understand compassion. They knew lots about God, but they actually didn't know God himself. You know, they were so deceived. They thought they were so close to God, but they were trapped in their own deception. And the scary thing is that they were lost, but they didn't actually realize how lost they were. You know, they were so comfortable with their own standard of righteousness, they didn't see their own injustice and their own hypocrisy that was right in front of them. And for them, they were so caught up in being right, they forgot to do what is actually right. And you know, for us, sometimes as Christians, it's so easy for us to just kind of go through the motions of life. You know, we play church really well. You know, we can show up on Sundays, we can do the prayers, we can say the right things, we can serve, we can avoid certain sins, but then end up indulging in other sins as well. And we can be totally disillusioned to the spiritual state that we're actually in. You know, we can know lots about God, we can have the right jargon, we can understand theology, we can have the right doctrine, we can quote scripture. We can claim to believe in God, but the thing is, is our relationship to God is just cognitive and it's never actually gone down to the heart. And the big part of this passage is Jesus is making it clear to the Pharisees, you know, these experts of the law, these highly educated people, you know about God, but you don't actually know him. Because to know God is to know compassion. To know God is to know grace. To know God is to know love. To know God is to obey not out of duty, but actually from desire, from a place of relationship. Because when we, when we come to know the goodness of God, we come to understand the depravity ourselves. When we come to know our own sin, our own tendencies, and our own brokenness, we all of a sudden don't look to others in judgment, but with compassion. And I'm not saying that all of a sudden we're blind to sin. We don't all of a sudden say, oh, just do what makes you happy, just do you. Because that's a mantra of the world that's actually nonsense. But we call out people's sin for the sake of loving them, for not condemning them, and to lead them to Jesus because we want to see people's lives restored. We want to see people living full lives. So with that being said, let's finish up the rest of the story together, verses 9 to 11. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So this is where the story takes a little bit of a turn. You know, Jesus, after making his declaration, writing in the dirt, people began to leave. 
And Jesus, he made it clear to them, you haven't just disobeyed the law a little bit. You guys are so much more lost than you actually realize. You're so much more corrupt than you actually see. You are so far gone. You are so lost that you cannot even be in a place to make this sort of judgment. So what actually happened here? You know, what claim is Jesus making? Because this woman was caught in the act of adultery. This woman, she was far from innocent. Some say her shame was well-deserved. Her sinful act, it was out in the open. Not only did she sin against her husband, but she committed something much worse. She sinned against an almighty God. She chose the path that led her to this moment. And some would say she chose this life. She deserves punishment. Some would say she made her bed. She should lie in it. Some would say she's nothing but a whore. She should deserve to get stoned. But here's the reality. The religious leaders, they weren't wrong. The law did say that the woman did deserve to get stoned for committing the act of adultery. This woman, according to the law, yes, she did deserve punishment. However, however, this woman, she met with the one who truly is sinless. She met with the one who truly has the right to judge. She met with the one who truly could have thrown the first stone. And the reality of Jesus, however, is that he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. Jesus, he came into the world so that he could enter the suffering of humanity. Jesus, he came into the world so he could reach out his hand and restore relationship to it. Jesus, he came into the world so we no longer have to live in sin, we no longer have to live in condemnation, and we no longer have to live in shame. And the main idea that I want to share with us this morning is this. Jesus sets us free from the trap of shame. Jesus sets us free from the trap of shame. Because Jesus, he didn't look to this woman to condemn this woman. This woman, she knew her sin was wrong. She knew that she was broken. She knew that she couldn't excuse it. And she knew that it was out in the open. Her sin was in the light. And she was in the, very, or she was in the place where she was standing next to the one who would actually die for that very sin. And she also knew that an encounter with Jesus had changed her life forever. She understood that an act of repentance is not just turning away from sin, but it's actually about turning to someone. Jesus, when he said, neither do I condemn you, he was giving her another chance. Jesus, he was saying, you don't have to receive the punishment that you do deserve. Jesus was saying, that's because I'm going to take that punishment for you. Jesus in that moment was saying, yes, you screwed up. Yes, your sin was wrong. Yes, you've disobeyed the law. You have disobeyed me. But here's the thing. I have come to set you free. I have come to set you free from the trap of shame, the trap of your sin, the trap of your own desires. I have come to set you free from the eternal implications of walking away from me. Jesus says, I have come so that you are no longer defined by your mistakes, the sins that have been done to you or the lies that have been spoken over you. I have come so that you are defined by my love, period. And that's the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're new to faith, I want to let you know Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. You were not saved by Jesus because you're a good person. Jesus came and he died for you because you're not, because we're not. And the truth about God's love is that he loves you, period. You know, God's love, it's not given to us because we deserve it, but it's given to us because we don't. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing that you've ever done that's going to make God love you less. And this is what I want us to walk away with this morning. Jesus sets us free from the trap of shame because he himself came to be shamed for us. 
You know, Jesus, he came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. He loved us so much that he was willing to go to the furthest possible extent to be able to rescue us. You know, he was betrayed by one of his friends. He experienced the fullest extent of shame. He was mocked. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was despised by those he came to love. He was stripped naked, and he was hung up on a cross for all to see. Jesus took the punishment of our wrongdoing and did that as a rescue plan that it was initiated ever since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the impact of our shame is rewritten. Shame says, you're worthless. Jesus says, you are mine. Shame says that you're a failure. Jesus says, you get another chance. Shame says that you're defined by your past. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new future. Shame says, you are junk. Jesus says, you're my masterpiece. Shame says, you're undesirable. Jesus says, you're a daughter of the king. Shame says, you don't have what it takes. Jesus says, you're a mighty man of God. Because of Jesus' love, we no longer need to stay in the trap of shame. We can actually enter into the new identity that he has for us. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling with shame, I want to let you know that you're not alone. You know, shame is something that impacts all of us in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in our communities. You know, we've all sinned. We've all had sin done to us. We all have different stories of shame in our lives, whether it's around finances, abuse. It could be physical, sexual, emotional. It could be addiction. But Jesus today wants to set you free from the trap of shame. So for application this morning, I'm going to keep it real simple. We're going to be going into a time of communion. This is a great way to begin uh, letting go of the shame that you are carrying and holding on to the new life that Jesus has for you. Communion is a time to be able to connect with God, to be able to examine our hearts, to reconcile with others, and to be able to start again. And I will lead the liturgy that I usually do when we do communion, or that we usually do when we do communion. But this morning, I really want to encourage us to be able to reflect on the shame that we might be carrying in our lives. So this, the question that I want to ask this morning is this. What is causing you to be trapped in shame this morning? You know, it could be something you have done. It could be something that's been done to you. But this morning, I want to encourage us to bring it to Jesus and to maybe bring it to someone else that we choose to do communion with. And this could be the real start, the, the beginning of a healing journey for you. So there's just three ideas that I had um, that I just wanted to say. So the first one is this. Confess your shame. I think this can be the hardest thing, whether it be confessing it to God or confessing it to someone that you trust. Uh, the second thing is receiving his grace, just knowing that there's nothing that we've done to deserve God's love and that he gives it freely when we ask. And then the third thing I wanted to say is extend his love to others. You know, it's so easy sometimes for us to forget the things that God's delivered us from, and I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give to one another is to be that one safe place where you can have someone share something with you and you not show judgment or condemnation towards them for it. So with that being said, before I read the liturgy, let's just pray together. Uh, Jesus, I just want to thank you so much just for who you are. And I just want to thank you that you meet us where we're at. And Jesus, you entered into this broken world to come and rescue us, to restore us, to love us. And Jesus, I just pray for all of us who are wrestling with shame and just dealing with things in our lives that maybe are in the dark and haven't been brought to the light. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So um, as we enter into this time of communion, God, I pray that we can just reflect and just uh, experience you in a deeper way. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. 
We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.